You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to open in your Bibles this afternoon to James chapter 1. We deal this afternoon with the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that the Lord Jesus taught to His disciples and to us, His church, of how to pray. Here, James begins his letter talking about temptations and about trials and helping us to understand and discern between them. Let's read together James chapter 1, the verses 1 through 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Our text this afternoon is the word of God, the teaching concerning the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. As we have it in Lord's Day 52, question and answer 127. What is the sixth petition? And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, in ourselves we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, do not cease to attack us. Will you, therefore, uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that in the spiritual war we may not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain a complete victory? Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, June 6, 1944, was, must have been, a day like no other. 
It was June 6, 1944, when the Allies invaded continental Europe, which was being held by the Germans, by Nazi Germany, when they landed at the beaches of Normandy and really began the end for the German occupation of Europe. It was a huge undertaking. By the time it was all said and done, on both sides there would be over 1.5 million soldiers involved. And on that day, on June 6, 1944, was the first wave of the attacks. And the Germans, though unsuspecting, weren't caught completely off guard. They were awaiting an invasion. They were ready. They had their guns mounted in the bluffs there, atop the beaches, knowing that, not knowing when, but knowing that it was likely that the Allies would try to come either there or somewhere else at some point. And so, as the soldiers would have landed on the beach there, it would have been a scene like no other. The air would have been thick with the sound of guns firing, with explosions all around, with bullets flying this way and that. Who knows where the bullet came from that's flying by. It could be from your own troops. could be from the other side. It would have seemed like chaos, like pandemonium. Now let's freeze the picture on one young soldier hiding behind a rock, taking cover as his division tries to move up along the beach. This young soldier is a Christian. He believes in the Lord. And he knows that nothing happening on that beach that day or anywhere else is outside of God's providence. Everything is under control. Not one bullet flying through the air on that day is outside of God's control. And so this young man, this young soldier is behind this rock, taking stock, ready to move up, trying to figure out what way he's going to take, and trying to muster his courage, putting his hope in the Lord. What would that young man pray in that situation? What would he pray to the Lord? Would he pray, O Lord, lead me not into battle? Of course not. He's already in the battle. The battle is waging all around him. The battle is his calling. That's why he's there, to engage in the battle. He won't ask the Lord to lead him not into the battle. What would he pray? He'd probably pray something like this. Oh Lord, lead me not into that place where I am overwhelmed by fear, by dread, by the enemy, by death. Uphold and strengthen me by your power so that in this war, I and my fellow soldiers with me will not go down to defeat. Let that be, in your minds, a picture of the battle that we are in. We are in the thick of a spiritual battle, of a spiritual war. The bullets, the explosions, the carnage is all around us. It's a spiritual battle. You don't discern it with the naked eye. You discern it with the eye 
of faith. The air is thick with the plots and schemes and temptations of the devil with his flaming arrows and his bullets trying to strike us, trying to bring us down, trying to overwhelm us. But yet none of these fly outside of the providence, outside of the concern, outside of the control of our Heavenly Father. And it's for that very reason that we come to the Lord and ask Him to preserve us, to help us, and to equip us so that we can work under His blessing toward the final and complete victory against all the enemies of God. Temptation's hour shall lose its power. That's our theme this afternoon as we look at the sixth petition and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Temptation's hour shall lose its power. We'll consider the spiritual war, what's going on, what are the sides. We'll consider our spiritual enemies more in depth. And then we'll consider our spiritual help, as our help is in the Lord. Temptation's hour shall lose its power. The Lord, when He taught His disciples how to pray, and He came to this sixth petition, taught us something that, as we read it and as we look at it, somewhat perplexing. And it raises a a question in our mind, what exactly was the Lord Jesus talking about when He taught us to pray to our Heavenly Father and lead us not into temptation. Does this mean, then, that God tempts us? As we are asking Him not to lead us into temptation, does that mean that God can tempt us? Well, we just read from James. And James says quite clearly, quite pointedly, no. When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. And so we need to understand, what is the Lord Jesus talking about when He teaches us to pray these words? And so in order to understand this question, let's step back and consider the the landscape of the spiritual war that we're in a little more. Because this word, temptation, and the reference to the evil one does alert us to the fact that we are in a spiritual war. A war that rages around us. A massive war where the stakes are high and where the fighting continues and where it truly is a matter of life and death. And so first of all, in considering this war, we need to acknowledge the reality of it. It will not do to simply say, there's no battle going on. We're all doing fine. No, we need to acknowledge that temptations happen. Temptations happen. Temptation is an an enticement to sin. An enticement to rebel against God. An enticement to please ourselves. An enticement to serve something or someone other than the Most Holy God. Temptation is an enticement to sin. 
And elsewhere, of course, this the Lord teaches us to pray these words in the Sermon on the Mount. And elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus explains for us what sin is. He teaches us how deep sin goes. He says that not just adultery, sleeping with another man's wife, or another woman's husband, not just that is sin, but even lust. Even looking at someone else lustfully is sin. He teaches us that not just killing someone else is murder, but even hating someone is murder. He teaches us that not just making an oath is wrong, but even making, uh, uh, sorry, not just breaking an oath is wrong, but even making an oath lightly is wrong, and so on. He goes in the Sermon on the Mount. And these teachings of the Lord Jesus, they strike deep at our soul and they shake us up as we realize how deeply seated sin is in our own hearts. If sleeping with another man's wife is a sin, then I'm innocent. But if lust is a sin, then I'm guilty. If murder, if killing someone else is a sin, then I'm innocent. But if hating another person is a sin, then I am guilty. The teachings of Jesus about the reality of sin humble us. Last week, Reverend Shooten preached about the fifth petition. And he mentioned the ever-increasing debt clock of sin that we have. Just like the debt clock of Canada or the debt clock of the United States, these numbers that constantly roll, rise, and increase, so goes our sin, always climbing, always increasing. It's only if you realize the magnitude and the depths of sin that you realize the pervasiveness of temptation to sin. It's so easy. It's just so easy and ever-present. Temptation is always there. If, if it's so easy to sin, then how much more aren't there temptations all around us? Temptation to lust? That's a multi-billion dollar industry. Temptation to hold a grudge, to, to harbor envy, to say something mean-spirited, to get back at someone else. It's as ever-present around us as the air that we breathe. And these are just two examples of two types of sin. We could multiply this exponentially and we would probably still just barely be scratching the surface. And so we're thankful for the fifth petition, aren't we? And for the forgiveness of sins that the Lord graciously gives us through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. But the temptations are real. So that's part of the what we have to acknowledge, that there is this war. But we also acknowledge the sides of this war. We have to acknowledge that God is God. He's in control of, of everything. And this fact is unavoidably clear from God's Word, and it's wonderfully sure. We can trust in that. God is the Creator, Provider, Sustainer, and Governor of this whole universe and everything in it. There's not one thing that happens in this world, in this whole universe, outside of God's loving, caring, and fatherly oversight. That's why we confess in Lord's Day 10 that God governs leaf and blade, rain and drought, 
fruitful and barren years, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come to us not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. And so, yes, therefore, we must acknowledge that even temptations are not outside of God's oversight and care. Yet, we need to also understand the holiness of God. We need to acknowledge the reality that God is not the author of evil, nor is He the instigator of temptation. Again, hear the words of James. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. And then understanding, of course, the character of the God that we serve, the one true God, makes it impossible for us to even entertain the idea that God could even remotely in any way be involved with leading someone to sin. It would go against every fiber of His being. This is the holy, holy, holy God that we're talking about. The God of such undefiled and perfect glory that we cannot even lay our eyes on Him or we would be consumed. How could God incite rebellion against Himself? It's preposterous. To apply the Lord Jesus' words from a different context, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And God's kingdom will stand forever. God is the overflowing fountain of good. He is not the author of evil. And He is not the instigator of temptation. Well, there's more to consider here, isn't there? Because even though God does not instigate sin, does not entice us to sin, He does lead us, His people, everywhere we go. God does not bring temptations, but God does bring trials. God leads us to places where we don't want to go in order to do in us what we can't do on our own. This is the basis for James saying, consider it pure joy. Those words are striking at the beginning of James. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it joy because it's brought by the Lord and it's meant to develop in you perseverance, godliness, maturity, And Moses teaches the Israelites about their wilderness experience, and he talks about all the trials that they had experienced, the difficulties in the wilderness. And he says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert those 40 years to humble you and to test you. And the Israelites are probably thinking, yeah, that was a, that was a terrible time. But then he goes on to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. The Lord brought them to the place where they would have to make a decision and where they would be able to put their trust in him. As we open this up, then it becomes clear that God is not the instigator of sin. And if God is not the instigator of sin, then somebody else must be. And yes, there is an instigator. A powerful, tireless, crafty tempter who opposes God's kingdom and glory at every turn. Every opportunity that he has, his whole existence is devoted to opposing God. What I'm talking about, who I'm talking about here, is the evil one. Satan. The devil. And of course, all his hosts 
of devils along with him. He is the evil one to whom this prayer refers. Satan has been instigating sin since the beginning of human history. Although at one time this was not his mandate. He was created as an angel of God. He was created to do God's will. But for reasons that ultimately we do not know and cannot understand, he rebelled. He fell. He rebelled against the Lord. He, he sought power where it was not his to be had. And he led a rebellion of angels against the one true God. These angels who are the demons, the devils, who along with Satan never cease to attack us. And his main goal since then has been to usurp power and authority from God by leading God's children astray. By leading us to sin against God. He tempted Eve in the garden, enticed her to sin, enticed her to become like God, tempted her to disobey the command of God not to eat the tree, not to eat the fruit from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan has been busy in in human history ever since, sometimes very obviously, sometimes more subtly, in some places more obviously, in other places more subtly. You don't hear a lot about Satan in parts of the Old Testament, and all of a sudden in places like the book of Job, you see him directly at work. You see how he carries out his job. And of course, when the Lord Jesus comes, then we see a lot of Satan and his demons trying to go after the Son of God himself. He brings, the Spirit actually brings Jesus into the desert, and there Satan tempts him for 40 long days. And Satan has many different tactics. He uses sheer force. He uses subtle lies. He'll appeal to natural desires or he'll incite complacency and carelessness and self-confidence. And Satan has many devils at his side working along with him. And in fact, he has co-opted the world. The world insofar as it promotes Satan's mandate the world insofar as it rebels against God. Satan manipulates and exploits the world to carry out his own agenda. The world with its industries, philosophies, media, all to promote his adversarial cause, all to fight against our God, to fight against his kingdom and his glory. So that's the war that we are in the middle of. And so with the spiritual landscape mapped out for you a little bit, perhaps it's easier now to get a right understanding on the relationship between God and Satan and ourselves with respect to temptation. So we consider now the two sides in a little more depth. The first thing that we need to understand about about ourselves is that we stand in a place of weakness. That's the very basis for this prayer, in fact. That's why Jesus taught us to pray this prayer, because we're not powerful on our own. We are weak, and therefore we need to pray. The very first acknowledgement that this makes is that in ourselves, as the Catechism says, we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. One writer says, Our judgment is prone to deception, and our will addicts itself to evil. Praying for help is admitting that we need help. 
And this is a profound acknowledgement. It's a powerful one as well. To walk in that humility of knowing that we need help in this spiritual battle. What I mean is that to, to pray this prayer is to acknowledge that there are people and things and places that I need to avoid because I am not strong enough to go there. And there are places that I will go that I cannot go on my own strength. There are places and people and things to avoid because there Satan truly has the upper hand. Can you pray this prayer? Lead me not into temptation. And then turn on the late night television. Knowing that one primary purpose of whatever you're watching is to give you illicit sexual and sensual pleasure. Can you actually pray, lead me not into temptation and then just turn on the temptation? Or are we too weak for that? Can you pray this prayer and then go to a private place and with no accountability, no publicity, turn on the internet, just do whatever? Can you pray this prayer and then sit down for an hour to troll through Facebook and picking up the latest tidbits of gossip, perhaps even slander, just drinking in all the information about others that you know your heart loves to have? Can you pray this prayer and then go to that birthday party where all the latest information about everyone is going to be thrown around and you'll get the latest scoop on him or her or that teacher or this person over there who's a new elder? And where you know that you'll just want to join in. Let's go back to that illustration of the young man on the beach to understand what it means to acknowledge our weakness. Is that young man going to pray the prayer for God to help him? To uphold and strengthen him by his power so that in this war he doesn't go down to defeat? And then is he going to pick out the, the way to the enemy where the most bullets are flying, where there's the greatest danger and the highest likelihood that he will be killed? No. No, praying that prayer is acknowledging his weakness. And then praying that prayer and going in the confidence of that, knowing that the Lord is in control, He will still pick out the best way to get to where He wants to go. He'll still use the best gear that He can to protect Himself from evil. Just in praying this prayer, truly from our heart, we are acknowledging our weakness. That is powerful. That is a powerful beginning. Because, on the flip side then, looking at the other side, as the Catechism says, the devil and the world and our own flesh don't cease to attack us. They're unceasing in their attack now, just like they were a hundred years ago, just like they were fifty years ago, just like before the internet was invented, just like they will be in ten, twenty, one hundred years from now. We shouldn't think that the world that we live in is the only world that had temptations. God's people have always faced temptations because God's enemies have always been attacking God's people. 
They've always faced temptations from the devil, the world, and their own flesh to satisfy their own desires in disobedience to God's will. They've always been tempted to slander, to gossip, to hate, to cheat, to lust. So let's not fool ourselves. The means and the methods might have changed, but the desires come from within, and they don't change. And it's these desires that give temptation its opportunity. James chapter 1 again. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. See, it's precisely in our weakness that Satan will try to attack. That's the opposite, isn't it? That's what God does. God sees us in our weakness and he helps us in our weakness. But Satan exploits our weakness and he attacks us there. He takes advantage of us. That only makes sense. He, he's our enemy. He's working tirelessly for our downfall and destruction. He's not going to attack us where we're strong. He's going to attack us where we are weak. And there's a practical point there for us to take note of, and that it's going to be different for all of us. The temptations that we need to guard ourselves against, what specifically we are praying for when we're asking the Lord not to lead us into temptation. I don't think it's going to be very tempting for me to sit at a club somewhere downtown Vancouver. I just don't think that's going to be very tempting because I'm not going to want to be there. But I know that for others and some others of you, that's a very tempting place to be. You want to be there and you want to soak it all up. There are different temptations. There are different weak spots for all of us. Different by age, by gender, by many other factors as well. Satan is going to go after our weak spots because it is our own desires that also lead us into temptation. But Satan does not only exploit, he's also subtle. He might very well not expose our known weaknesses. He might attack us where we don't even know that we have a weakness, where we don't even know that we are compromising. That's why it's so important to hear God's Word and to learn and grow in it. To understand God's instruction about what sin is. About how to avoid it. But even when we know our own weaknesses, Satan is powerful. And he has powerful allies on his side. He has the resources of the world. A constant bombardment against us in all sorts of different areas. And like we've already said, Satan finds an ally right in within ourselves. The desires of our sinful nature. And so all of this adds up to some formidable opposition. And how can we be expected to stay strong? How can the righteous stand? Psalm 11, when the foundations are being destroyed, how can the righteous stand? Where is our help going to come from? Well, our help is in the Lord maker of heaven and earth. This is why the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. Because we are weak. Not because we're strong. We pray because our hope is in God. Not in ourselves. We ask God to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us. To deliver us from the evil one. Because God is on our side. Or better, we are on God's side. God will preserve us and help us so that we do not go down to defeat. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. 
He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. We started off wondering what this petition really means. The Lord doesn't tempt us. What does it mean to lead us not into temptation? Well, we have to realize that the Lord does lead us. And so we're asking Him to uphold and strengthen us on our journey. One way that you can understand this in this petition is you can sort of insert a bit of a a pause or a comma after the word us. And lead us, O Lord, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So lead us into a place where we can stay strong against temptation. Where the devil, who will not cease to attack us, will not be able to overwhelm us. Or you could put it another way, and and you could say, lead us not into the clutches of temptation. Lead me not to where I'll be overwhelmed by temptation. Lead me to where Satan's attacks will be diminished, and I will be able to be strong against them. Not in my power, but in your power, O Lord. What we're asking when we pray this petition, then, is for the Spirit's leading. For the Spirit to lead us, to uphold us and strengthen us, and to show us that path of safety amid all the dangers that are out there. And so where is this path? Where are we asking the Lord to lead us? Well, we're asking Him to lead us by the power of His Spirit in communion with our Lord Jesus Christ. Lead us close to Him so that we will be strong. The Spirit forms and strengthens the bond that we have to Jesus Christ in heaven. The Spirit transmits the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us, for our daily lives, so that we can stand in the strength of the forgiveness of our sins. The strength of of the resurrection of the dead. The strength in the renewal of our lives. The strength in our being formed after the image of Christ. We're asking when we ask the Lord to lead us in this way, lead us, O Lord, into Your Word. Because God's Word is powerful. The Spirit gives us insight into God's Word to sustain us in that bond of faith with Jesus Christ. To form us by that Word so that we have the mind of Christ, the wisdom to discern spiritual things. As we said, this war is not one that's always so obvious to our eyes. We can't always see the carnage all around us. It's spiritual carnage. But we ask the Lord to give us insight through His Word and understanding so that we can see what's going on, the plots and schemes of the devil, the carnage around us. We're asking the Spirit to transform our nature And equip us with the spiritual weapons of faith and hope and love so we can gird these on, we can put them on like strong armor so that when Satan does land a blow, it will bounce off us. It won't strike us and bring us down. We ask the Spirit to give us the virtues that we need to go into battle. Peace, patience, kindness. So that we might not be tempted to sin. We ask the Spirit to give us fellowship and accountability that we might not go into this battle alone, but that we might be strengthened by our peers, by our brothers and sisters in the Lord, that we might have accountability, close personal relationships with others. Relationships where we can talk about our weaknesses, or we can talk about our struggles, 
where we can have someone to pray with us when we fall. May God prevent that from happening. We ask the Lord to lead us into a church that's nurturing, with elders that care, deacons that support, with other members who love. We ask the Spirit to lead us into a place of active service so that we are using our time and our gifts to the Lord's glory and honor and not becoming complacent in our faith, not becoming blind to this war. We're asking the Lord the Spirit, to give us resolve in our will, to increase that new nature so that we become strong. Yes, we acknowledge our weakness, but brothers and sisters, in the strength of the Lord, let us also acknowledge our power. Our strength comes from the Lord. And so we can be strong and we can ask God for help to resist the devil. James 4, verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That sounds like a good tactic. Resist the devil. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. And so, brothers and sisters, let me ask you this pointed question this afternoon. Are you standing strong against temptation? Are you standing strong against those temptations that strike you? may be different than the ones that strike someone else. Do you have these provisions of the Spirit? Strong faith, a strong bond with Christ, a closeness with His Word, a, a nature that's being transformed, accountability and fellowship among God's people, active service, resolve of your will that comes from God's Spirit. then pray and continue to pray every day and ask God to give you these things. Keep careful watch that you are standing strong and pray for the power that comes only from Jesus Christ, our great conquering King, to resist the devil, to resist the urge to sin and rebel against God, and to have every spiritual resource at your fingertips to be able to live for the glory of God amid the battle that rages. In fact, living for God's glory amid the battle is fighting the battle. And it frustrates the devil to no end. Frustrates his purposes. And that advances the kingdom of God. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.